0: Welcome to Milo Time, where we dive into the list of things that Milo loved and spend some time with my beautiful, amazing, awesome, fantastic boy, Milo. Welcome to another episode of Milo Time. Daryl Kessler, along with Lisa Cohen. Yes, indeed. And Lisa, it's only fair to report to our audience that we are recording today for the first time from our remote studio in Sherman, Connecticut. (laughs) The eagle-eared will note. The eagle-eared will note (laughs) that there are birds chirping in the background, and those birds are not pigeons. (laughs) I don't think they're eagles either. Uh, They're neither eagles (laughs) nor pigeons, but they're something of the variety. Something that we don't know about. That we know nothing about. But if you do hear birds in the background, now you know why. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lisa, as our audience knows, this is a show on which we focus on the things that Milo loved, and... We take a look again at that very list. And is anything appealing to you today?
1: Yes. I mean, uh, as as a big camp girl
0: myself, I got to go with Camp Starlight. Yes, Camp Starlight. So there's so much to talk about as concerns Camp Starlight. Uh, For those who don't know, Milo went to summer camp for seven summers beginning the summer after third grade, incredibly. Customary, customary. Yeah, and he was a very young third grader. Milo was a November birthday. Oh, right. That's right. So one of the things that was actually interesting was Camp Starlight, which we'll talk more about, uh, did the bunk and age group organization based on grade, Uh not based on age. I see. And since Milo was the only city kid in his bunk, he was the only person with a November birthday or probably mm-hmm. a post September birthday who was in that bunk in the older age group. Mm-hmm. So some of his best friends, who we will talk about on this uh podcast episode, were more than a year older than he was because mm-hmm. they were in suburban schools that didn't right. go on the regular right. calendar. Right. Anyway, so Camp Starlight. Well Camp- just you know, you and Gordon went there too, correct? That's exactly right. So when we were thinking about whether the kids would go to Sleepaway Camp, we started looking at a couple of options, and we knew about a couple, but Sleepaway Camp wasn't popular where the kids grew up. It wasn't popular in our area of Brooklyn. It was much more of a suburban thing. Um, but we knew about Camp Starlight, and Max and Milo's cousins, Scott and Jared, went to a camp up in the Poconos, and their other cousin, Zachary and Noah, went to Camp Starlight, which, as you noted, is the camp that... My brother Gordon and I went to, so when Max first was looking at camps, we visited both the camp that Scott and Jared went to and the camp that Zachary and Noah went to, and Camp Starlight was much more sports focused, which was much more appealing to Max at the time, so he chose to go to camp Starlight um We didn't know at the time whether it would be appropriate for Milo at that time. Milo was very young still and Wasn't clear that he was going to be as interested in sports. And we sort of took a wait-and-see approach with him and just said, when it's time, if it's ever time to decide what sleepaway camp he's going to go to, we'll we'll figure it out then. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, Milo's now in third grade. We're considering what sleepaway camp's to go to. Milo's heard a lot about Camp Starlight and decides that, like his brother, he would like to go there. Now, Camp Starlight is interesting for a a couple of reasons. It's been there for a long time If you look closely at some of the bunk-celebrating artistic plates that each bunk puts on the wall in the mess hall, you'll see that in the 1950s, Paul Simon went there. He was one of the the first Camp Starlight campers in one of the first years that the camp was open. Um, But it always has been and remains a Jewish camp, enough so that it is still kosher, um, which is a challenge for any camp. It's a challenge to feed a couple hundred kids at every meal three times a day. It's also particularly challenging to do it when you're limited by the laws of kashrut. Um, Particularly challenging indeed. And then when you add on top of that the fact that someone like Milo had sort of a limited palate, it was a challenge in that respect. But we really had a discussion internally about whether we wanted to send the kids to a camp that was at least nominally religious, Mm -hmm. it remained kosher. And that was a little bit of an exception and maybe even a misrepresentation of how religious the camp was. When I was there, we used to do Friday night services and we used to do a more regular Jewish type, um, uh, service I don't think the camp does that quite so much anymore, but for whatever reason, the kosher piece of the camp remains in place. So we had that conversation as Mm -hmm. we'll probably talk about more in a later episode. I was raised in a conservative Jewish home. Alana was raised in a home that identified as Jewish but was not religious at all. And we, when we had kids, decided to raise them non-religious, although if you ask them just based on their grandparents Mm -hmm. and their cousins— I think they would probably identify as Jewish. I'm sure they would. So our first discussion was whether do we send them to a camp that is religious. And as you know, many of the camps in the Poconos area at least have some Jewish angle to them. For sure. Um, so, again, we visited with Max. He loved the sports well, components. It, by the way,
1: camp sleepaway camp on its own is a Jewish thing. It it's, is. There's not... Outside of the New York area, outside of Jews, the, yeah. the idea of sending your child away for eight weeks yeah. is fairly scandalous.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's part of the story too. I mean, yeah. I remember when Max was first getting ready to go to Camp Starlight, we were the only people at that point in our neighborhood who were sending their kids to sleepaway camp. And sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night and say, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> like he's he's literally just completing third grade and we're sending him off into the care of a bunch of you know teenagers, t- teenagers and twenty year olds who we don't know, um, and it was hard to believe we were doing it, but we just did it the same way our parents did it with us. Um, but what has happened with Camp Starlight over the years? It has remained sort of with a strong Jewish infusion, but it has become much more competitive athletically. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was a camper at that camp, a scrawny young Jewish boy like me, could could leave that camp thinking like, anything's possible (laughs) on the sports (laughs) You're Like, oh my goodness, I'm such a phenomenal athlete. (laughs) And then both Max and Milo were there, both superior athletes to me, and would tell me that, yeah, there are kids in this group. You can't believe how great they are athletically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm only sort of middle of the pack or upper middle athletically. And um, it's just remarkable how competitive a sports camp it became over the years, Um, But that's not really what I wanted to talk about in particular about Starlight. What I really wanted to talk about was Milo and his bunkmates at Camp Starlight. So when Max went to Camp Starlight, his cousin Noah, my brother's older son, was already there. And his cousin Zachary had gone for one summer as well. Zachary and Max were only two days apart. Zachary had gone the summer after second grade because his older brother was there. Max joined Zachary the summer after his third grade year and joined Zachary in that bunk. So he went knowing people Mm -hmm. at that camp. He had Mm -hmm. the approval of his cousin who was already in the bunk and his cousin was his entree onto other kids in the bunk. Milo went to camp knowing nobody in his bunk at all. He knew his brother who was Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. and his cousins, but he went knowing nobody and he was randomly placed in a bunk with primarily kids from New Jersey Kids, some kids from New uh, from Long Island as well, and this bunk of boys turned out to be, in its core group, a group of friends that were Milo's best friends for his whole life, and it was really an incredible thing. In this camp full of competitive athletes, there was sort of this island in their bunk of kids who were plenty good athletes, but were really, really, really good kids. That's not to suggest kids in the other bunk. We're not good kids, but these were kids who were really good to each other. And I'm going to mention a couple of names. Eli Hartman, um, Alex Epstein, um, Aidan Mock, Alec and Max Berkowitz, Harrison Tulchner, Reed Teitelbaum. I know it sounds like I'm reading the table <laughs> reservations at a Boca restaurant. But 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 these <laughs> were, right. these kids, and I'm sure I'm forgetting, Sandy Friedman. Um, and if I've forgotten anyone, I really apologize. But this was the core group of that bunk. And, oh, Eli Joseph. I have to mention Eli as well. And Ben Schwartz, of course. Um, what happened with this bunk was it was a really nice core. And from the beginning, it was Milo, Eli Hartman, Alex Epstein, Harrison Tulchner, Reid Teitelbaum. And then some kids would come and go from the bunk, but what this bunk was able to do repeatedly was incorporate kids into the bunk who hadn't been in there the previous summer. And I think the owners of the camp knew Mm. that that core group of kids were going to welcome somebody new into the bunk, make sure that kid wasn't picked on, Mm -hmm. was Mm well-treated, a role was found for that kid. And it really was just a tremendously beautiful relationship that they had among themselves, and then a relationship that grew over time because they would add kids and those kids would fit and they would bring something else to the table and they were appreciated. And I think, I'd like to think that some of that was Milo's personality. Um, I think that's true. A lot of parents probably think, and I think correctly, that their kids were equally involved in that process. And I completely agree with that. Uh, but it was a really, really beautiful thing because camp, as great as it can be for many of us, can be challenging. It can it can go Lord of the Flies very quickly. It can quickly. go Lord of the Lord of the Flies very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that's just natural. And it's maybe even more natural when you're talking about um, boys although girls can be plenty difficult, oh, oh yes. too. yeah, yeah uh, let me assure you <laughs> let, me, let me
1: let me correct that statement Let me correct that they're statement. worse they're 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 uh you know <laughs>
0: yeah, but maybe competitive athletes, it can be difficult, and that group of boys was phenomenal, and they were great together in camp when I think about when camp started, and they all loved to be running around all day and playing sports, and then, as they got older fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, seventh year, they kind of discovered, well, sports are great, but it's really hot out. And why don't (laughs) we sign up for sports broadcasting where we could look at the computer and check out the sports scores from the previous night. Um, And even as their tastes changed, their relationship remained extremely close. That's nice. And there were so many activities at Camp Starlight that were you know, between Olympics and sing and and all the traditions that remained from when I was there. And then there was the relationship that the boys had Outside of camp. Yeah, it was going to be my question. Like, how did it go during the school year? An incredible thing. Um, They were so good to each other and so connected. And for all the righteous criticism uh, that is lodged towards our telephones and our computers, the fact is that an iPhone or a Samsung phone Um, just having a (laughs) phone in your hands allows you to stay in touch with people remotely in a way that we just couldn't. Those days of picking up a telephone and you call one person. No, I wrote letters to my friend. I was in Long
1: Island and I wrote letters to my friend in New York City.
0: Yeah. And this was an amazing way for them to stay in touch. And you have group texts and Instagram and Facebook and everything else. And um, they really remained in close contact. And during the year, in ways that we simply didn't do, Um, they would get together. They would get together for a sleepover at uh, their friend Harrison Tulchner's house on Long Island. That was one of my favorites because Harrison lived right near a chicken restaurant called Zorn's, (laughs) Mm. which I mentioned on an earlier episode, um, but it's a fried chicken restaurant that I grew up with, and I was always happy when Milo would make a plan to be out there because (laughs) we'd always return with a couple of buckets of Zorn's. Or they would go out to Livingston, New Jersey, where a couple of the kids lived, and... They would go to a Rutgers football game, or they would just go out to dinner Mm -hmm. Um, once they went to a Jay-Z concert together at Nassau Coliseum, Um, and the relationship was just really, really special, and I always thought of it, you know, we've already talked a couple times about the cousin relationship, and I always thought of those camp bunk relationships as a little bit like cousins, where you don't get to see each other as often as you like, but when you do immediately, right back into things, fall, things fall right back yeah. into place. Yeah, And I do remember, um, this is kind of a funny thing, from seeing pictures at camp and from hearing Milo and Max talk about their friends at camp, I remember feeling like I knew the boys very well, but unlike friends from home, they really didn't know me and Alana right. at all, right? because they'd really almost never met us. Right. We, we only were see not them on visiting the, the, yeah. day. So I remember when the kids were very young, like sort of going up to some of the kids on visiting day and saying, hey, Harton, what's up, man? And him looking at me like, who are you, <laughs> old man? And in you know, a stranger danger, Yeah. Uh, who, who is this guy? And it took a number of years to sort of develop that relationship. But that relationship has remained really strong. And even since... Milo died. We've been in regular contact with those boys. Uh, They have come out to Brooklyn. They've visited Milo's tree. Um, They've come to some meals that we've had in Milo's honor. And it really is a great thing. And it really all started with, you know, a swim test, uh, (laughs) you know, 12 years ago now or however many years ago it was. And we did see this past year, a lot of those kids were back at Camp... As counselors. Nice. And they instituted what will now be a recurring holiday at Camp Starlight called Milo Day, oh. where all of the seniors dress up <laughs> like Milo. And that means wearing uh, long black socks pulled up as high as you can, wearing a basketball jersey. And carrying a tennis racket around in your left hand. I, don't forget about the baseball hat and a, flat, oh, and of flat, course, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. And of course, a flat brim baseball yeah, cap. Yeah. And uh, his friends sent us pictures this summer of Milo Day, and it was extraordinarily touching to see a lot of kids who knew Milo dressed in a very classic Milo <laughs> camp fashion, and also quite a few friends, quite a few kids there who didn't know him at all, still dressed that way. And they added to the upper senior bunk a plaque, and every year someone is going to be named, you know, Mr. Milo Day, for whatever reason, whatever the criteria is going to be. And it's a really beautiful and touching plaque, intentionally done in an extraordinarily sloppy way, (laughs) as Milo would have done it himself. (laughs) Um, but really a very touching message on the plaque and a really beautiful gesture from his friends. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, camp is um, special for a lot of reasons, but that's uh, particularly among a group of boys. Uh, I I do remember, I will not forget, they each came up uh, at at, uh, the service after Milo died and they had something to say, each one of them. I, I remember saying to one of my friends, like, Boy, I actually, this gives me hope for the male species (laughs) of the future. They were each one just so sweet and articulate and, um, you know, none of them were embarrassed or or, or trying to be funny or anything. Like they just, it was all very genuine and sweet. And um, yeah, it was terrific. Very special.
0: The thing that's interesting too is they recognize that their daily lives were a little different. Milo lived in a city and his friends were in a more suburban setting. But they also recognized that there was value to both of those settings. And I remember them learning for each other. You know, Milo's great friend, Eli Hartman, who I've mentioned now, wrote an extraordinary letter to Alana and me just a couple of months ago about how Milo's love for the theater and movies opened his, Eli's eyes Mm -hmm. in a way that they were not opened Living where he lived, that's not to be critical of Livingston, he just didn't have at that time a group of friends who were expressing interest in those things. And Milo would talk to us also about how much he loved going to visit his friends and they would walk to the local high school and all this open space and you could throw (laughs) a ball around for hours and not (laughs) compete for space with kids on bikes and kids in strollers and things like that. And they really valued each other and learned from each other and really loved each other for a long time and i i have i have to thank uh, camp starlight for that it was really a, a beautiful setting for them all yeah lovely well that's all the time we have on this episode of milo time we hope you'll join us again soon back here in sherman connecticut <laughs> for the next episode of milo time when we one more time dig into the list of the things that milo loved